Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjassad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. If this is the first time you're listening to our podcast, thank you for trying something new. We have over 200 and, I don't know, 70 episodes for you to listen to if this is the first time you're listening. So hopefully you like this and you uh, check out the back catalog. Right? But before you do that, make sure to listen to this episode. What, you don't want the, – there might be some inside jokes that they uh, they might be missing out yeah, on. Yeah, but you want to make sure this is something you really want to commit to before you go back in time and open up that vault. That, of course, is the, the voice of my friend and fellow automotive journalist Benjamin Hunting. You can find his work all over the internet, like really all over the internet. There are There are new pieces. There are old pieces. Ben, can you tell people where they can find your work? Time is a flat circle, everyone, and that means you can find my work at Motor Trend, Car and Driver, Driving Line, Inside Hook, and sometimes Haggerty. And I tend to see time as like a cylindrical tunnel, so you can find my work at driving.ca, autotrader.ca, Nouveau Magazine, TechSpot, and EV Pulse. Ben, we've got some... We got some cars to talk about this week. These two vehicles, I don't think, could be further apart. I want. Well, they might to... be similar in weight. <laughs> Maybe. I want you to take the lead with this discussion very from the very get go, um, because I think you have the more interesting vehicle here, right? Well, it's the more recent vehicle, and that's the 2022 Toyota Tundra. Okay, that's a truck. I know what that is. It's a truck, but the most important thing to know about this truck is a very long time ago when dinosaurs ruled the Earth and the climate was a lot warmer and, you know, there were giant insects everywhere, Toyota introduced the full-size Tundra. Yeah, roughly the Jurassic period. Uh, Yeah, so back in 2007, 2008, around there, and then they did absolutely nothing with it for a very long time. They kept it the same. There was kind of a refresh in 2014 that didn't change too many things. And finally, for 2022, there's been a complete redesign. And the reason I'm stressing this is because Toyota is notorious for not touching its trucks and SUVs and just letting them kind of wither on the vine. The perfect example of this right now is the 4Runner, which has been around for almost the same amount of time. But the difference between the 4Runner and the Tundra is, I think, 100,000 people buy the 4Runner every year. Like a a large number. The Tundra... Not so much. It's not nearly as popular, especially when contrasted against the rest of the full-size pickup world, where the F-150 is selling something like 900,000 units a year, which is many, many multiples of what the Tundra has done. And this always disappointed me, Sammy, because I thought Toyota, with all of its engineering genius and design acumen, could have made the best pickup truck in the world and yet they chose not to. They just chose not to. They, they made one one time, and it was pretty good, but not that competitive. And then they just kind of waited. And, and everyone else innovated. Everyone else introduced crazy drivetrains. There was hybrid pickups. There were twin-turbo pickups. There were super off-road pickups. There were Raptors. Diesels were- and... and- Mild hybrids and all sorts of weird things. Yeah, but- and, and, and Toyota just kind of stayed with a, a V8, and they, they had a V6 for a while. They got rid of that, too, so it was just V8 only for a long time. And uh, it was really too bad because they could have made a very, very cool truck instead of just an average truck in a world where most trucks are above average. Okay, but this new one, is this considered average? So this new one really is the first time Toyota has taken a modern approach to pickup trucks. I mean, I, I take that back. When they Hold brought on. Out- what are you talking When you think modern, pickup trucks don't usually jump to mind. Although the, the recent crop are 
surprisingly but, but high I'm, tech. I'm and, talking and about advanced. the modern approach, right? Like the original Toyota Tundra, well, not the original, but the Toyota, the really true full-size Tundra when it appeared had a 32 valve V8 in a world where pretty much every other pickup had push rods. So that was okay. a kind of a big deal. The, the i4s V8 was a good engine. Toyota has, for the 2022 redesign, if we're talking drivetrain, which is, I think, probably where some of the biggest changes occur, there are no more V8s at all. Just a twin-turbo V6. There's two versions of it, kind of two versions. The base model is a 348 horsepower, 405 pound-foot of torque tune. Every other model gets 389 horsepower and 479 pound-feet of torque. Then there's a hybrid edition which has 437 horsepower and 583 pound-feet of torque, which gives you 0 to 60 of like 5.7 seconds, which is pretty impressive. Okay. Uh, that is, a, I believe, a single electric motor that's integrated into the transmission, so it's not like other Toyota versions of their hybrid system where you have electric motors directly driving the wheels. Um, but that's, that's a big deal. No more V8s, no more V6, just a yeah. twin-turbo V6. This is crazy. This yeah. is especially crazy because one of the things that you would always, um, I think, applaud Toyota for doing and keeping things the same is that their vehicles worked. Like, they really survived the rigors of being a truck for a long period of time. There are there are Tundras that I see on the road that are still that first-generation model from the Jurassic era and are still running and looking as good as they, they ever did. They did have that bed flex issue, I believe. Back when they first came out, I think that was eventually dealt with. Where like over certain types of roads, if they I was, thought that was the the Daco. Is that also the Tundra or? I think it was the Tundra. Okay. Specifically, but uh, the 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 new Tundra moves entirely away from that platform. Okay. Which, which means we're getting a um, a new chassis. Yep. And a coil spring rear suspension. Ooh. Instead of the leaf springs, so instead of that, leafs, that puts the Tundra alongside the Ram. The mm-hmm. Ram 1500, which also has leaf springs, which is a truck I like very much, and I find quite comfortable. And I think many people like. I think many people like the Ram, and I think following the Ram's um, lead here is a smart move, right? Yeah, I mean, if you're going to modernize your pickup, you might as well go all the way. So I appreciate that they've done that. Towing is pretty good, twelve thousand pounds, which is like two thousand less than an F150. But if you're towing fourteen thousand pounds with an F150, that's kind of scary. Um, just under 2,000 pounds of cargo in the bed. Fuel mileage is also fairly decent, 24 miles per gallon on the highway for the twin turbo. The um, the hybrid is kind of weird. I think it's the same on the highway, but two miles per gallon better on around town. So it's like 20 miles per gallon city, 24 miles per gallon highway. Nothing like a good (laughs) city-focused pickup truck. Well, barely make a turnaround. Pickups do do bad in highway, sorry, in city stop-and-go driving just because of the weight, usually. It's it's never a a good efficiency scenario, but I think what Toyota's done here with the hybrid is they've kind of balanced out power and efficiency because that hybrid model does have like 100 pound-feet of torque extra. Okay, but you're to, not driving. You're not driving the hybrid. You're no, driving the I'm, turbo. I'm driving the twin turbo, and it's, I'm driving D4 ST. I heard specifically. You know, you're so obsessed with this direct and port fuel injection system that yeah, is man. standard with this engine, the three and a half liter V6. Um, the version I'm driving specifically. I also love the name of this engine, which is the iForce Max or something. You're you're obsessed. That was what they called the other one too. I think it was iForce. iForce and iForce Max, which sounds like sneakers, seriously. So I'm driving the 1794 edition, which is named after a ranch. (laughs) Okay. A ranch that was like, used to exist on the grounds where the 
the plant that assembles it in near San Antonio. I, some story like that. <laughs> That's awful. They should do that for, if they're going to do that for this this like ranch or plantation or whatever the heck it is. It's definitely should, not a plantation. No, we should do that for all of them. Um, all of the indigenous lands that have been. Uh, taken over by these plants, right, Ben? Okay, so moving along from I don't, I personally don't know the heritage of every auto assembly plant in North America. Maybe I'm assuming it's that a, sounds like a great story. I'm assuming it's that. a history deeply soaked in the blood of of conflict, like pretty much everything in uh, in North America. But uh, the the 1794, it's like second from the top. In terms of price, well, I want to qualify that. There's a TRD Pro hybrid, <laughs> which is strange to say. This I, my a, brain just scrambled yeah, thinking about that. It's just above that, um, like six grand more, I guess. And then there's something called the Capstone, which is really expensive, seventy five thousand dollars. That version, is very expensive. The version what I the drove heck though. What's going on? Is that Alexis? I don't know. I haven't been in a capstone. But the 1794, it's pretty much the same as the Platinum. They're within like $500 of each other. But the 1794 has all this wood trim inside and different leather. It's kind of like Ford's King Ranch edition, if you want to think of it that way, where it's well-equipped, but it's not necessarily... Like, it's a separate model, but mostly from an appearance perspective. I see. So... Okay. Is, is it attractive? I mean, that's the real question people want to know about. It's trucks, okay. Right? It's or okay. Or do people want that. to talk about capability rather than? It has a giant grill. It is enormous, like really enormous. Um, I think it's an okay looking truck. I don't think it's particularly attractive, but I don't think it's ugly. Can kind you of... stand in front of the vehicle and the driver would be able to see you? Now, we tried this with my partner yesterday and she, yeah. we, we tried this with the Raptor last year. Not the and Raptor, you sorry. And you couldn't make eye contact. The TRX. Right? I forget eye contact. I couldn't see the top of her head. It was really bad. With the Tundra, she is slightly more visible. <laughs> but it's still not a situation you want to find yourself in. Oh, no. It's terrifying. Uh, the other visibility issue with this truck that is actually more problematic for me, it has giant mirrors that stick out probably... That sounds like a good thing. What's no. wrong with you? Well, let me explain. I mean... In a world where I'm not constantly interrupted while talking about mirrors, the audience would already have that information. Constantly interrupted while, while talking, talking about, about mirrors. mirrors. We so talk th- about mirrors almost exclusively on this podcast. And in our private lives. <laughs> yes, that's true. And I always want to push the conversation towards something else. Unnamed reflective podcast. Yeah. They stick out about two feet, but they're giant. Like, the mirrors themselves are 18 inches tall, at least. And this is a problem because every time I come to a stop at a at a corner, I cannot see what's coming around the, the street on the left side. Um, the right side is a little bit better, but directly to my left, there's a huge amount of the road that's blocked out by the mirror. I miss pedestrians. I miss traffic. While I'm driving, it happens too. And I don't get it because there are other pickup trucks with big mirrors that don't do this. It's a serious design flaw for the Tundra, and I'm surprised this vehicle left the factory like that. I very rarely say something uh, that strong about yeah. safety and a vehicle, but I think this is a huge issue. I don't know if these are special uh, towing mirrors because of how far they stick out. They're split in two, so you do have the extra um, convex or con- – I guess convex is the word – mirror on the bottom that gives you like more of a view of if you had a trailer. But they are huge and they are a problem. Wow. That is uh, that is an issue. I've had some cars that that have like really thick A pillars that you can kind of not yeah. see people in. You can you can lose people in. Yeah, this is um, like that, but like times five or six. That sounds crazy. Like that sounds unreasonable. I wouldn't know how to deal with. It's that the worst feature a... of the truck, bar none. Wow, it's something that every time I drive it is a problem. 
Okay. I know that there's probably a, another issue that you've had with the vehicle pretty frequently, and that would be the, the new infotainment system. Not pretty frequently, but I did have the infotainment. So it's it's a large, a fairly large screen. There's only one hardware button that interacts with it on the center stack. Oh, You're, that bodes well. That really goes well. It's a volume button. <laughs> it's a volume button, but it's not an on-off button. It's a mute button. So, like... <laughs> It, when when I encounter the issue, but I mean, an on-off button is like a mute button in a way, right? No, I, I'm going to explain to you why the difference is important for the problem yeah. that I had. I had the screen just go white. I got in the car, I plugged in my, my I'm using Android Auto. It does it wirelessly or with a cable. I plugged in my phone because you know battery reasons, and I pulled away, and all of a sudden the screen went white, com- just completely white. Mm. Uh, this is a problem because of so many vehicle features that are, are routed through the screen, but because there's no on-off button just a mute button, I couldn't turn the screen on and off to recycle it, recycle, recycle. Why am I saying that? To reset it or to, you know, power it on. I had to just pull over the vehicle, turn the whole vehicle on and off, and then have the infotainment system reboot. So even though there's like controls on the steering wheel to change from one track to the other or, you know, up the volume or whatever, there's nothing that allows you to directly interact with the system itself. That's kind of a problem. Were you listening to the White Album? I was listening to nothing. <laughs> nothing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Not only did I lose the screen, but I lost every all functionality. It was just gone. I don't know I if wish... that's... I'm sorry, sorry, go ahead. Is that just growing pains for the new system? Which otherwise seems to work pretty well. I, I have kind of an annoying thing where uh, it's telling me I'm, I'm logged in as guest and I have to dismiss it every time I turn it on. But if mm-hmm. I want to create a profile, I have to like create an account with Toyota, which is... I don't think you should have to create an account with a car company just to use your vehicle. Uh, I think, but I imagine the people who are buying this vehicle would do that, right? Like they're going to make an account; I, they're going to live with the vehicle forever. I don't see it being necessary, though. Why can't I just? I, none of the other vehicles I own require an account to use their infotainment. I can just use the infotainment, and I think that that should be the case here. I think it complicates what is otherwise a pretty decent system. I always think that you know, for some of my hardware that you have around house, if they if they like. You know, they they break or they gimp up. You should have like an easy, like hard reset that you can do that doesn't involve turning the car off. Like yeah. I think there should be like I don't know some sort of like secret hardware like hardware button combination that you can hold and it would reset it. Right? Like that'd be that'd be a nice little debug. for sure. Control Alt Delete for your car is something I'm totally into. Are you joking with me? Stop it. No, I think that's a good <laughs> idea. We should. I think that would be really cool. You know, we used um, to have power buttons all the time in cars. It was something yeah. that was really you turn the stereo on, you turn the stereo off. You didn't just mute it. Um, I think that would be helpful for, for these kinds of situations. It would be a very quick um, fix instead of having to pull over and, um, like, panic. I don't know. I didn't panic. I just turned up. <laughs> but you're a pro, right? Like, you're a pro. I guess. Not pro enough to make my own account at Toyota.com or whatever it wanted me to do. <laughs> Moving on, okay, though. Tell, yeah, the, tell me more about this truck, then. What was it like to live with beyond the, the pillars and the infotainment system I mean, and that juicy motor you've got in there? I had a four, four-door four model with a five-and-a-half-foot bed. It's Jeez, still super, <laughs> super enormous. Very difficult to drive in traffic. Um, the mirrors, again, sticking out pretty far. Made me nervous whenever I was around buses or that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're an urban dweller, full-size pickups are not for you. It will be a problem. Get a Maverick. Um, you need wide open spaces for this kind of stuff. I can still do like a three-point turn on my street, but it's not fun, you know? Um, <laughs> is it fun in other cars? Yeah, man. Like fun. Like you got this big old smile and you're like forward, drive, reverse, forward ride. again. Yeah, Anytime I can just do a U-turn without a three-point, I'm I'm 
living you're beaming you're feeling life. it <laughs> they, you're they like have, it's gonna be a good day <laughs> the, the drivetrain is pretty good you definitely feel the power the 10 speed automatic transmission is totally transparent i feel like more transparent than the one in the ford and gm products hey that's I, pretty that's a pretty big endorsement yeah i really don't notice it. My, my dad's got it in his f-150 and you kind of do notice the gear changes and if like especially if you're towing you notice them obviously um, if you're not in the gear hunting as if well, if you're not in tow haul mode, it doesn't lock out the top. Anyway, oh, yeah. uh, in in the Tundra so far, completely transparent. I I like that aspect. One weird thing is they've tuned the interior fake sound to sound like a V8. So the when performance you, sound pleasure thing. Yeah, when you sound when you step on the accelerator, it's eight cylinders of performance sound pleasure. So <laughs> it's weird. It's like a cognitive dissonance that I know that that's not real, but it's still pleasurable to my ear at the same time. Uh, handling is decent. Uh, the the bounce from the suspension is reduced with the coils. I do notice it as being more controlled. Montreal has horrible roads, and this vehicle is pretty good to drive over it. Um, Interior-wise, it's enormous. I mean, obviously, you look at the exterior proportions, and you're like, well, there's, it's got to be huge in there, too. That is accurate. Uh, the back seat is pretty ridiculous. Uh, there's plenty of storage space for all sorts of stuff. I like that about it. The... Fit and finish the interior is pretty good. I don't know how into the wood and leather I am. Like, it doesn't feel... Again, this has always been a Tundra thing, but it doesn't really feel up to the level of some of the domestic automakers in when it comes to pickups. Uh, I haven't been in the new Chevrolet Silverado or the GMC Sierra that they rushed to redevelop when they realized how poorly received the cabins were. I would say this is better than the last year's Silverado and Sierra, but okay. probably behind an F-150, definitely behind a Ram, just not quite as nice. So it's it's very acceptable. I think that this truck is a good effort, and I like the fact that they've pushed into this twin-turbo technology. I like the fact they have the hybrid. There's really nothing to dislike about the truck except for the fatal flaw of its mirrors. Like, I'm, there's nothing about it where I'm getting in and out and I'm, like, smacking my head every time other than that. But I feel like this will never, ever – this won't – like when you rank your your advice for pickup truck owners, how high up will the Tundra be? That's a great That's a great point. Like does this move the needle? Does this redesign do everything it needed to do to actually gain market share from – Or does it just make it more competitive with the already established players? I think that it's the latter. I think that's yeah. definitely the case. I think Toyota – could have gone further with this truck. I think especially what? Like what? How? the interior. The interior could have been way cooler. They could have done so much cooler. cool stuff and made it amazing. Instead, it's just merely very good. And it, when you're in a world where people are already driving really good trucks, mm-hmm. there's not a lot of impetus for them to turn away from something they know to something new simply because it's roughly equivalent. Um, I also I, think it's worth pointing out that all of the innovation and like, I don't want to call them gimmicks, but they are, they might be gimmicks. They might be things that fe- people would never ever use, features that people would never ever use, um, in the F-150 or the Ram or the Silverado. Um, the, the Tundra seems like it has none of those, right? Like none of those things that you could point at and be like, yeah, but my truck can do this. Yeah. I and mean, that's... the hybrid is perhaps the biggest one of those. If but you there's a hybrid F-150. Sure. But that that's kind of it, right? Like, there's there's not a lot of... And also, what's interesting is the Tundra is the only pickup truck on the market in the full-size segment to have zero V8 option. They're the first one to walk away from it completely. I mean, that's not that's not a gimmick or innovation. It's just... It is. You, you, I would argue it is innovation. Hmm. 
I mean, Ford could. I think Ford could not offer the five liter. No, the five liter is so good. Five liter. Oh, it's a good motor. Really? Oh yeah. Better than the EcoBoost. In my opinion, six? definitely. Yeah. I think that EcoBoost is very, very good. Here's the thing about the EcoBoost. It doesn't get better fuel mileage than the V8. I mean, that's true. In the Especially real world. When you're, if, yeah, when you're driving it like a truck should be driven. It, it doesn't uh, be Otherwise, it. if you're driving it like a, a highway commuter, maybe, like really lightly. But So no, the simplicity right. of the V8 is, I think, something that appeals to a lot of traditional truck truck buyers. Uh, I, again, I keep going back to my father because he's owned multiple V8 powers. That's right, yeah. And multiple 5 liter. Actually, he currently owns two 5.0 F-150s. One's a 19 and one's a 12. Um, and they've been really good trucks. Uh, the 12 has been fantastic in terms of reliability. So I think Which that used to be the buying reason for a Toyota, right? I guess Reliability. So. I but guess. now it doesn't even seem that. First of all, well, I'm just talking specifically about the motor. I'm not talking about the truck entirely. I'm just talking about specifically no, I mean, about the motor. In general, like the the a, a Toyota truck you'd buy because you you were convinced that it was going to be reliable over ten or more years. I think, um, and people bought into that. Um, but it seems like other trucks are just as um, reliable, right? I don't know. I don't know if you'd want to compare like. Stellantis reliability versus Toyota reliability. I, I don't have the details in front of me, but I think that's a shaky, shaky bridge. Although there is a, I think there's a new recall on the, on the Tundra right now. Yeah. I think it's actually Oops. the first recall in Tundra history. It's for wow. a, a rear axle issue. In Tundra history? I think so. Yeah. That's a big deal. I mean, for the, for the, for the full, full size, I believe the older truck had uh-huh. that crazy recall for frame rust. Yeah. Yeah. But that was like early 2000s, I believe. Everyone was rusting that. No, not like this. <laughs> no, no other company has offered a warrantied full frame replacement for a pickup truck. That's very hardcore. Um, tell me more. Anything else you need to talk about? I mean, I'm going to be driving it a little bit more. I've, I've actually done, put a fair number of miles on it so far. I'm going to, I have some more miles I want to do, but, uh, again, the, the impression I'm, I'm getting from the truck is it's good. It's not overwhelmingly better than any other truck I've driven in any one area, except perhaps for the hybrid motor I haven't tried yet. And the fact that I do really like this twin turbo V6, I think it's, I think it's quite competitive. Okay. That's good to hear. I hope that, um, the vehicle gains a few more features in the, in the coming yeah, year and, I, and maybe a, maybe a prime version, a plug-in or something. Who let's, knows? Let's see more from Tundra. I mean, there's a good base here. Why? Yeah. Let's not have 15 years of nothing like we did. And when I say nothing, I mean no redesigns. <laughs> 15 years of stasis for this design. Like, keep evolving this. Give us a reason to care about this truck. Unless Tundra just doesn't matter in terms of profit and they they don't care. And you they know? just use it as the because they make the, uh, what's the other one called? The Sequoia? No, I, that's based on is even fewer people buy that. that <laughs> really? Very non. Yeah, I mean, this. How do so many people buy Forerunners and nobody buys a Sequoia? Because think and about people, it, Sammy. So many people buy Yukons and Suburbans. Because the Sequoia also didn't evolve for 15 years. It was exactly <laughs> the same. So think about if you were trying, if it was 2021 and you were at the dealership and you were looking at a Suburban, which is very modern, versus like a Sequoia, which is still from 2008 or 9, right? Yeah. Second, have you ever been in a Sequoia? Not lately. Uh, but the previous generation? Yeah. I mean, there's many, 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 many reasons why <laughs> people are buying the Forerunner instead of that. That's uh, fair. Anyway, I, I I think the Sequoia was kind of a Me Too product where they just, you know, it's cheap for them to make because they already have the platform. 
Mm-hmm. And maybe some people will want to buy it because they have a forerunner and they want to graduate to something bigger and they don't want to leave the Toyota ecosystem. That that that's who I think was buying Sequoia. Alrighty. Let me um, I'm very curious. I want to look at Sequoia um sales numbers because I think they're horrible, but I want to make sure. <laughs> okay. I sure. want to have that confirmation. It just blows my mind that a hundred thousand forerunners are sold. And like no other. <laughs> oh yeah, my! Let's goodness. hear that. Are you ready? I want yeah, you to yeah. guess how many they sold last year. Twenty-five thousand. <laughs> no man, they what? sold one quarter of the number you just said. <laughs> <laughs> really? I'm not exaggerating. Twenty twenty-one, they yeah. sold eight thousand sequoias the year before in 2020 they sold 7000 the most so that was a good year last year <laughs> so the redesign i think was in 2008 the most they've sold since the redesign was that first year where they sold 30000 and then it immediately halved wow uh meanwhile in forerunner land <laughs> yeah hundreds hundreds last year they sold 144000 yeah <laughs> That's that's what almost Dang. twenty times, almost twenty times, Sammy. That's wild to me. Yeah. So the Sequoia is a product, that and we have talked about the Forerunner several times, saying this is an old truck. It still has a five-speed auto. It's awful on gas. Consider not buying it, and people are like, "Yo, I'm going to buy a Forerunner." <laughs> <laughs> right. That's exactly it. And and I was right about the numbers for Tundra. Last year was 81,000. Year before that was 109. So like they're, they're oh, right yeah, around that six-figure mark. But I mean, yeah. again, that's 10% of what Ford sells. Yeah, it is. And I think GM does, when you combine the two trucks, quite a lot. Ram does quite a lot. So yeah, yeah that's tough. I sometimes wonder if the only reason Tundra is still built is because they have excess production capability on the Tacoma line. And I believe that they're built uh, in the same building and mm-hmm. that they just want to absorb that and kind of put it out there. Um, I don't know. It's really, I mean, how can you sell 144,000 forerunners and only 81,000 tundras? Like that's a, that's a crazy world where imagine if the F-150 was being outsold by the Explorer, you know, yeah. like, that just doesn't make a lot of sense or the edge. <laughs> <laughs> that's wild. Um, if you have nothing more to add about the about the Tundra, I'm good. I'm ready to move on. You you want to talk about what I've been driving recently, which I think has a trim level that's been inspired by some pickup trucks. I think your your Tundra is offered in a, in a trim level that is similar to this. But I drove the Porsche Panamera Platinum Edition. Platinum Edition. Is there isn't there a Platinum Tundra and a There's Platinum F150? There are Platinum. You are right on both counts. Well, I'm not sure this really like borrows anything from those. It's just a subtle. High end trim level. It bumps up the uh, the price of this vehicle by about ten thousand. And I, I'll be clear, I'm driving what is pretty much a a basic Panamera. Like this is not the S. But what does ba- basic Panamera GTS. get you these days? It gets you a pretty decent car. I mean, this this model in particular with this um, Platinum Edition costs just over a hundred thousand dollars. So it's still a pricey vehicle. And um, I have to say some things about the Panamera. Especially if you're going to be getting a base version of it. I'm not sure it kind of like stirs you or brings to mind the Porsche performance or levels of performance that you could get in maybe a, a an S or a turbo model. I mean, I mean, I guess that makes sense. A turbo is probably twice the cost or something. But there are moments when I'm driving this vehicle when I'm like, this could be 
um, a, a, anything like a BMW or a, or a Mercedes or an Audi very easily. Um, and I don't think that's a great that's a great position for Porsche to be in with with their sedan. Right? So I'm looking at the Platinum Edition right now, and I'm struggling to find the differences between that oh, yeah. and the base model. Like they seem. Let me let me run them down for you here. Okay. You, first of all, um, massive wheels, 21 inch wheels on them. Okay. Okay. You've got black trim. Um, around the exterior of the vehicle, you've got um, a black trim around the exhaust, smoked out taillights, um, and I think that's about it. I want to. Uh, you've got platinum edition badging on the inside, so it's, it's an appearance it, package then. And you get um, two other packages: uh, the premium package and what is the other? What is the other one called? Yeah, no, just a premium package. So it, it is like a. It's a value and appearance package combined. Okay, I want to point out that on the Porsche website, there are 24 trim levels of Panamera. <laughs> I'm not even exaggerating. And <laughs> this includes this is this includes all models. So this includes so, the, okay, sport, well, yeah. the Sport Turismo, which is like the wagon version. Yeah, don't do that. Well, I, I have no way of separating them, unfortunately. This is they're they're built all the same. Okay, but there are twenty. Let's let's put it this way: there are twenty four th- cars you can buy that have the word Panamera on them. <laughs> yeah, of and, course. And when we're looking at this platinum thing you're talking about, yeah. there's more than one of those too. There's a, there's the platinum yeah. edition you drove. There's the yeah. Panamera Four Platinum. Yeah. There's the Panamera. Uh, where's this? Well, technically, I dr- I'm driving the the Four uh, okay. Platinum Edition. So. so there's there's a Panamera Four E Hybrid Platinum. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there another one? That's yeah. that's, that's three now, right? Yeah, you can get it for the um, the four the, the base the four S and the four the four E hybrid. Okay, and in okay. each case, it's just for looks and um, a packet uh, and like a premium package as well. And it's twenty one thousand extra dollars over over base base. Like the regular Panamera is one hundred three grand. The yeah. Panamera Platinum is oh sorry, this is the Canadian prices. I yeah, yeah, no, the the American price is about a thousand, uh, ten thousand dollars. Okay, 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 so. And truly, look, I mean, it looks like a Porsche. It looks good. Uh, those wheels are, they stress me out, to be honest. They're huge wheels, and uh, they're, like, really massive. <laughs> like, they're stiff. Uh, I'm terrified of curbing them or anything like that, scratching them in any way. So they're, you're, they're... those wheels are like the Tundra mirrors. <laughs> yeah. Except less they, dangerous. They stress, me, they stress me out. My model is also done up in a, in a metallic cover, cover, uh, color called metallic uh, copper ruby. Okay, so I want you to imagine what copper ruby might look like, and you'll be wrong. I'm I'm assuming it's very. I want to say a metallic red. Yeah, no, it's purple. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So it should be called like ruby fuchsia or something. It should be called purple. Um, and I'm just driving this thing. It's got a new um 2.9 liter twin turbo V6, which is a decent engine. It makes about 300 and. Oh, I have this. 325 horsepower. 325 horsepower. There's something about, and it's paired with a eight-speed PDK, like a dual-clutch transmission, which I I am really concerned about this throttle response, this driving response for a vehicle that should be really engaging and fun to drive. I feel like tip throttle tipping is really um, sluggish. There's a lot of resistance in the throttle, in the pedal, and it just makes the vehicle feel un. Like, not eager to drive quickly. And I, I really think that's 
that's a detriment to the whole ethos, the whole spirit of having a Porsche, right? So you're saying that because of that, it kind of blands things out to the point where it just kind of becomes like an anonymous Euro luxury sedan. Yeah, truly. Um, and I mean, it's quick. It does zero to 60 in, in easily like five seconds, if not less. Um, and it sounds pretty cool too. It doesn't sound superb. I think there are better sounding six cylinder engines out there. Um, and I truly think that the inline sixes from BMW are great, sound great, feel great, never feel like they're sluggish or holding you back. Um, while the Mercedes ones have really good throttle response as well. So I, I'm, I'm not in love with what's going on with this Panamera. I want to dial things back a little bit to the point where we're paying. How what's the base price in in the U.S.? It's ninety two thousand. Yeah. So we're paying ninety two thousand for three hundred and twenty five horsepower. Is that correct? Yes. If I went to BMW, yeah, and I got a similarly sized vehicle, which I'm assuming is, are you saying seven or are you saying five? I think five. Okay, so I at ninety two thousand, I'm deep into M five fifty territory for sure. Which has five hundred horsepower, easily. I something like that, and um, I'm assuming that the drive on the BMW would be more engaging because it's probably not over four thousand pounds, or if it is, it's oh yeah, it's forty two hundred, but has all that extra power. Am I crazy to compare this to a five series? Should it be a seven? I don't know. I mean, it's five hundred twenty three horsepower, which is pretty damn good. For it starts at seventy nine. Let's just put it yeah. out that way. So already there's a, about a ten thousand dollar price difference. Uh, so if I paid another ten grand, I'd probably get a lot of the BMW features I want. I would have two hundred more horsepower, and I'm struggling to find a reason to buy this version of the Panamera. I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, I agree with you. You need to get it because you love uh, you love BMWs. Let me make sure that I I know the the wheelbase is is comparable here. Uh, to a five or a seven series because maybe I'm I'm way off on on my sizing. I don't know. I mean, the Panamera's always look like a very big no. car to me. A wheelbase of the seven series is massive. Yeah, but I think that may be because in North America we only get the extended wheelbase. So I'm I'm saying that passenger wise, definitely, I think the seven series is larger inside. But car length wise, is it's the Panamera still- longer than a five series? Um, it's definitely shorter than a seven. Let me double check a five okay. series. Then, then let's say, let's, let's split the difference and say six series Grand Coupe, you know, whatever, which I don't think exists right now, but in a world. Eight, it would be the eight series, wouldn't it? Yeah, I, maybe. That's, that's maybe a better comparison. Did we do this? Did we do that? We figured out where the, yeah, this thing would be, this has the identical wheelbase to a five series, uh, long wheelbase. Um, length of a five series as well, and the five, the eight, and the seven are all built on the same platform. Yeah, yes. so so let me take a look. I think you might be onto something with the eight series. Well, I'm looking GC. at I'm looking at uh, the eight series Grand Coupe right now. Okay, and I'm looking at pricing. Yes, so let's see. That's got to start at a hundred grand. And I, is there a six cylinder version? Yeah, I think there's an eight forty, but okay. I will double check. Trying to build it, and the site is recalcitrant. Okay, so the the force the the uh, six cylinder one, which does sixty in four point nine seconds, is eighty seven thousand. Even that's cheaper than a Porsche Panamera. Yeah, if you die, and, and if you buy the um, the V eight, it's one hundred and two. So ten grand more gets you that same V eight you find in the the five series. So I okay, but, but we're really the, getting into the weeds here. But I think what yes. we what we've determined is, is that, that the Panamera fits in some bizarre space that nobody else. Is kind of filling in, and right? that the Panamera is asking you to pay a lot for performance that is not competitive with other okay. options. 
But now let's get into um, a better discussion, which is our one of your favorite vehicles was the Grand Turismo version of the 5 Series? The 6 Series GT. 6 Series? Sorry. Which is a very unique vehicle, super niche, fill the white space that nobody else played in. I'm not saying it's my favorite. I'm saying it's maybe the best modern BMW if you if you wanted it to if you wanted a car that did absolutely everything and you didn't care what it looked like, so I think the Panamera can do this, uh, but it's but, not in the base model. Just yeah. truly don't do yourself a favor. Don't get a base Panamera uh, like a a non. But just the, don't get a, get an S or a or a GTS if you can. But the base GT, the 640, was pretty good. It was yeah. that that. That six-cylinder engine is so good. sweet. It's super sweet. And they were super cheap because no one wanted to buy them. Remember we had a listener who reached yeah. out to us and said, I was shopping for a, you know, a family vehicle and I was at a BMW dealership and I was looking at X uh, crossovers and I ended up going home in a six series GT because they cut so much money off the price just to get it out of the showroom because nobody wanted it. And he's like, I looked at it and he agreed with us that it did everything, you know, lots of interior space, fun to drive, lots of power, lots of luxury for like a very reasonable price. Once you factor in the ick factor from BMW dealers. Um, and I think if you're buying a Panamera, you're paying full retail minimum, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Actually, I have a friend who just bought a Panamera. He bought a Panamera last year, and uh, maybe last year or January, and he ended up replacing it with a 7 Series. He bought a 740 that he or a 750, can't remember which. Any, anyway, he liked the 7 so much, he got rid of the Panamera because he wasn't driving it. So yeah. that is... Uh, that, that is real is, world, uh, like... A real world. I mean, it's an anecdote, but it is a it's real an anecdote, world anecdote. But this person's an enthusiast, and I think in mm-hmm. a world where they prefer driving their seven series over their Panamera, that is that problematic. Says so much about the Panamera. And he's I a think. multiple Porsche owner. He has a 911 uh, convertible. He's owned 911s in the past. It's... So I, that's what I mean. Trying to say is that this Panamera really doesn't feel like a uh, like a Porsche, and and that's sad. That's really tough. Of all of the times that people have said you're going to water down the brand when you when you deliver x y or z which it might be the it was the um cayenne and the macan and the tycon the panamera is the one that really doesn't work like but really isn't so many of them this is a really pop yeah the panamera and i the, thought the cayenne and the and the macan really blow it out of the water the cayenne is a very popular vehicle but really the panamera and the cayenne i think are the main supporting legs of porsche financially wow that's look we should take i mean if you're still on that uh, i'm taking a look now but good, the Good car, bad car. I thought it really pales in comparison, especially in comparison to the like. I mean, I guess it's not fair to talk about BMW sales. No, these are they're not really comparable brands. No, I mean, like market position wise, we can compare their models directly. Sure. Oh, maybe I'm wrong, Sammy. Um, yeah. If I'm, if I'm looking at Panamera sales, they're really not that great. I would say they're like sad, aren't they? They are sad. Thirty five hundred last year. I, I was completely wrong. And then you look yeah. at the Cayenne, and the Cayenne did 21,000. So that's that's a huge difference. It's a big deal. And I don't know. And, and, and you know what's crazier is if you've driven the Taycan, you drove the e-tron GT. Yeah, which was fantastic you, in my opinion. Which is similar to the Taycan. But you're, we're talking about two vehicles that are super engaging to drive, really fun. They They just... They make you feel amazing. Like and they make you feel great inside. They're and also like sixty or seventy grand more than a base Panamera. I am trying to say that I think that, you know, the the Panamera is just really not fulfilling a modern Porsche identity right now, and okay. I think that's a problem. I mean, definitely. Uh, I, 
they've never. Is sold... it good? Yeah, I mean it's good. It it and when you push it, it it's fast. It does the it does the speed things it's supposed to. And it's cool that it has the wagon version. Yeah, you know, and I'm... even this one has you know a lift gate, a really a really really practical trunk, um, which is nice. Um, what else do I want to add? I have all sorts of bizarre comments about the infotainment or the usability of this vehicle. I don't think it's it's good. Um, I think they could improve it for sure. They have like a like these two digital gauge uh, digital screens that you control using uh, scrollers on the steering wheel. Um, and there are moments when you just don't like. I can't get media information on those screens. Is that weird? That is, is that weird strange. to me. That is a little strange. I, and when I put on the maps, I lose. Um, the display for my gauge, the, my fuel gauge. So you're saying you'd like to see more than one thing at once? <laughs> I mean, I don't know how much a fuel gauge takes up on the map screen, right? Like, it's just a little line that says empty or full. Um, so I'm just really concerned about, like, who's making, like, what, what those decisions have in the long run of the usability. Um, and, you know, they're picking favorites on, on your radio presets is also difficult. Um, I, I just did not enjoy interacting with the with the infotainment system as much as I hope to. There's also a center vent that you can't control manually. You have to go through a screen to direct air through it. Ooh. Yeah. So it's a bizarre set of decisions that make the vehicle feel odd. Like so it's, odd. it's a really an acquired taste is what you're saying. Truly. And sales numbers kind of seem to reflect that. Truly. Is it is it practical? Yes. Is it comfortable kind of is it fast it's fast enough but there's something about um the tuning of the throttle or the, or the gas pedal that really isn't um encouraging you to go fast which i think is a is a is a low point right it, it is one of my biggest issues you want to you want a playful car from every interaction with it and a stiff pedal um doesn't scream playfulness it screams decisiveness that you have to now decide for sure right now i'm gonna go fast Let's so go. so who's this car for mm, porsche fans okay we've established that no <laughs> based, no not even based, based anecdotally maybe like i don't know um somebody who needs a five series wagon maybe well, that's an interesting idea i would love to see the breakdown between the, the what's it what's called the sport turismo yeah, the, I would love to see a Sport Turismo breakdown and just how many of those they're moving. Well, I don't see many of those. Do you see a lot of those on the road? I don't. No, you're, I, I almost always see the sedan, but I think that <laughs> might just be because the sedan's been on sale for for a lot longer. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, and I feel I feel crazy because I think Porsche has been putting out some of their best product lately. It feels like they're they've got their their best foot forward, and here I am driving possibly the worst car that they they make. Um, and a very expensive version of that is at, at, at that. Is there anything else you want to say before we wrap things up? No, I don't think so. I think that's it for now. All right. Well, if you have something you want to say about the Panamera, about the Tundra, or about the Tundra, Ghosts of Tundras and Sequoias past, which I, I, I would love to hear owner, um, cause I, I know people who've owned Tundras and really, really like them. I've never met anyone who owned a, a Sequoia and really, really liked it. So if, if you are one of those people, I would love to hear from you. You can get in touch with us in a bunch of ways. The easiest way is to go to our website, unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. There is a contact form there. You fill it out, you hit submit, and it goes to the, uh, our, our inbox. Maybe an even easier way is just straight up email benjamin at benjaminhunting.com, the old fashioned way. 
And finally, there are two social media accounts that we are monitoring constantly for Unnamed Automotive Podcast interactions. There, Sammy is on the cesspool that is Twitter. He is at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing. I am on Instagram at Hunting Benjamin. Additionally, you can go to our website and you can, not only can you find all of our previous content, there are a bunch of little buttons there that help you subscribe to our podcast using your favorite podcatcher. Or, you know, the easiest way is to just go to your app, uh, search for the Unnamed Automotive Podcast, and we should be there. If we're not, panic. Send us a message in all caps saying, I can't find you guys. And we'll do our best to figure it out. Right? And if you, if you do find us, it's great if you could you know leave a review or a comment. We've seen a bunch of people have been doing that lately, and thank you for that. It helps increase our audience. And if you want to support the podcast directly, you can do that at ko-fi, ko-fi.com forward slash unnamed automotive podcast. Sam, thank you so much. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask you, Sammy, uh, we're actually taking a break next week, I believe. You are going somewhere, and I am going somewhere. And then when we come back, after taking a week off, we are going to be talking about what exactly? I don't know. I haven't thought that far ahead. Well, I have. <laughs> and I'm going to be talking about the Kia EV6, which I'm pretty excited to do. Oh, okay. Oh, shoot. I need to get I need to get on top of things. Well, you've got a few weeks to get it done. I will. Don't worry. Thank you for listening, everybody, and I can't wait to talk to you when we get back. Bye. Bye.